Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Hello, hello. I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. Tonight, August 4th, this is a special edition in recognition of what would become known as the Lizzie Borden Axe Murderers. And tonight, we have a road trip with the panda. Yeah. Hello. Hello. Have you ever heard of Lizzie Borden? Is no, I, huh? I, I, I'm sure it's popped up somewhere on some, you know, top ten mojo list or something else out there. You know, Lizzie Borden has been thrown around, but I, I mean, I was med- I was in Massachusetts and I didn't see anything about Lizzie Borden. Did you go to? Oh, I went to Boston. I'm sorry, I went to Boston. So I don't know. You say Massachusetts, and it's not a very big state anyway. It takes about 15 minutes if you're lucky just to get across the state really quick. It's not a very big state. Right. But Fall River is actually 50 miles, I believe, south of Massachusetts. Or <laughs> south Boston? of Boston. South of Boston. Yeah, yeah. sorry. But you anyway. know, I was there. I went on a, I went on a little venture. Well, side note. I went on an adventure to go find my buddy, like, a, a gift. And, but, you know, it was only in the East Coast, and I couldn't order it across because I guess you can't order alcohol over the internet. That depends on the alcohol. It was beer. I've gotten... Okay, well, I, you must have got some export ta- export license or something. I don't know. Some Thomas Shelby Limited Company. <laughs> I don't know. Regardless, so I went on the journey, and I, and I think I did visit that place, but, I mean, there was they're not like, you know, welcome to, what was it? Fall River. R- Fall River? Yeah. It wasn't like, welcome to Fall River, home of... Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden, yeah. Well, heck, yep. Well, heck, yeah. <laughs> Had your kids. So... The first time I actually ever heard of Lizzie Borden, believe it or not, was in high school. In high school, I was in theater. The theater. Theater. And we were doing some sort of Halloween skit performance, and they brought out, or they named a lot of famous murders. Murderers. 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 And it was the very first time I'd ever heard the name Lizzie Borden. I wasn't really into, you know, where the dark corners are, obviously, back then. I'm sure you were. And, well. In your own way. Correct. And since then, which has been a significant amount of time. From high school? From high school. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we won't say the age. <laughs> to say few A few years. It's just been, it's a, been few, a while. A few years. It's been a while. <laughs> you know. There was a Michael, a panda in between. Not in high school. No. Mama didn't do nothing in high school. Mama was a saint. That's right. I was. Anywho, over time, though, I've, you know, watched documentaries. I've looked at articles that come up on your front page or this or that over the years. Why is August 4th? This is, that's the date 
things went down. So is it called Lizzie Borden Day? No, but maybe in Fall River, Massachusetts it is. It's like a big, big day. LB, LB, LB day? LB day. LB day. Oh, yeah. But as I said before, tonight is the anniversary of the Borden murders. So we're going to discuss what happened, what went down. And this is kind of like, I think on some level, at some point, every kid in America has felt like, I hate my parents, I want them dead. But... Yes. <laughs> uh, not that you're confirming that or anything. You're talking about no your comment. dad? You're talking about your no dad? No comment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, let's, let's jump right in. Okay. Spoiler alert, there's death. <laughs> Patent pending. <laughs> All right, fine. Lizzie... Borden. Andrew Borden. Andrew? I wonder if she's a fucking murderer. Well. So it's like a boy named Sue. She just got fucked. Yeah. All right. She was actually born on July 19, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. She's actually the second daughter to to be born. There was a, a child that passed between the two. To her parents, Sarah and Andrew Borden. Now... As the second child, Lizzie has an older sister named Emma, who was born in 1859. So she's about eight, nine years older than Lizzie. And Lizzie is, you know, she gets involved in the church. She's very active. She teaches Sunday school. She's very involved in Christian organizations. She's actually quite sociable. And, I mean, there's a lot of information out there saying that she was a bit of an introvert. And, you know, the one picture... Or the few pictures that we have of her, they kind of give her like this crazy eye look lady. and But she was very engaging and she did a lot of sociable stuff. Now, her mom actually dies in 1863. So Lizzie's just three. And her sister, you know, promises her mom to take care of baby Lizzie. But basically, she's left to be raised by her father and... He has businesses in the manufacture and sales of furniture and caskets, and he becomes a property developer in his later years, and he make, basically makes a fortune. So the guy's rich. He also is the director of several textile mills, which the Fall River area is known to be predominantly a textile mill area. And he himself, again, owning considerable co- commercial property, And in addition to all this, he was a president of the Union Saving Bank and the director of the Durfee Safe Deposit and Trust Company. When he gets murdered, his estate is valued at about $300,000, which is equivalent to $9 million in 2020 crash. Now, despite his fortune, despite how wealthy this man really is, he's actually known for being basically a penny pincher to the point that the home had no indoor plumbing, okay? There is no gas lights hooked up to the home. He's Mr. Krabs. Right. He's just, he's Save cheap. a penny wherever you can. Okay. He, he's extremely cheap. Okay. And he only has one maid. Which, oh, but he has time for a maid. Well, it help, she helps. Now, there's no, does she help? Yeah, she does. does. She, I mean, does she help? <laughs> she does she help help what you know what i mean no there does not in the future seem to be any inappropriate conduct between 
Mr. Borden and the maid. The maid. Well, there's some other theories that we'll get into a little bit later. So you can't shit outside, but the maid. You can't shit inside, but the maid. What does the maid clean if there's no indoor plumbing? The rest of the house. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I. She's. It sounds like a sex life. We're gonna get into that as we go down the road a little bit. So she's a sex slave. No, she's not a sex slave. So we're getting into sex slaves, or she's the sex slave. No. <laughs> She's not a sex slave. Dude, what do you mean we're going to get into it? <laughs> Wait. Wait till the dr- car goes down further down this road. You said there was no inappropriate things with her. I didn't say that. You just said that. Okay. So there's something yes, appropriately we're... inappropriate. <laughs> no. Hold on. I'm holding. I've, I'm, okay. I've been sitting here holding. I don't think you're holding. I'm holding. Okay, keep looking at the map. Okay. The map. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, fucking goofy moving this shit. <laughs> Don't know which direction we're going. All right. The so maid did it. He's a penny pincher. <laughs> right. They don't even have a telephone in the house. Shouldn't buckets yell out the windows like Rocky. Correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they do have the maid. She's important. She goes. Great. She fucking gets the dust off of everything. Correct. Good for her. Now, three years after Sarah's death, after Lizzie's mother's death, Andrew remarries. He marries a, an Abby Dufree Gray. And Abby and Lizzie really don't gel. And as time goes on and the girls are getting older, the dad, Andrew, who's this penny pincher, and the girls kind of got to live with it, the dad starts gifting property to to Abby's family, which pisses off the girls because that's you know, they see that as their inheritance. They see this as, you know, we're we're living under his roof by his rules. And here he's giving away property to this woman who they do actually see as basically a gold digger. Right. right? Yeah. Most people do. It's like a parent trap. Right. So, I mean, at one point in time, there's even a situation where Andrew gives Abby's sister the house that she was living in, but actually in being evicted from. So he buys the house and gives it to her and be like, here you go. Which, again, you know, really pisses off the sisters. So at that point in time, there's like this massive break and things just stay broken. There's a lot of tension in the home. Lizzie starts referring to Abby as Mrs. Borden. She no longer refers to her as her first name and refuses to eat dinner with her mom and her dad. And I think Emma follows suit. So... There's already tension in the house. In addition to this, just prior to the murders, a month prior, Lizzie, who had a bunch of pigeons kind of in a cage on the property, Andrew goes and chops off the pigeons' heads and kills the pigeons because he claims that they were attracting children in the neighborhood to trespass against his, in his property, and he didn't want that, so he kills the pigeons. And, you know, Lizzie's really pissed, so she's already hating on uh, Mrs. Borden, and her dad goes and does this, and she's, like, really livid. So the girls, as odd as it sounds that he was a penny pincher, they actually go on vacation. They're like, we need to take a break. We're going to step out. They go on vacation, and Emma comes back, but Lizzie kind of stays a little longer out of the home, probably to kind of just really kind of collect herself. Now, And the fact that these two ladies really didn't get along was downplayed later, but it was later admitted that these two women just basically hated each other. Living in the house, aside from Abby Borden and Andrew Borden, 
again, Emma and Lizzie, again, is the maid. Her name is Bridget Sullivan, who was from Ireland. She was 25 years old, and she had been their maid the last three years. But they nicknamed her Maggie. Okay. The maid is Maggie. Right. Now, one of the other things that had happened right before August 4th, because of the dad's penny-pinching ways, what he would do is he would basically have the family eat the food until it was completely gone. So, like, there was, the family was basically living on a mutton diet. Do you know what mutton is? It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a meat, right? It's like, like a, a meat, bread mix. It's not bread mix. It's almost like a soup. But it's like bad meat or not the best meat. It's just kind of like the scraps put together into one little blob. And so in addition to all of this, the family was recovering from what they believed to be bad mutton. I mean, everybody got like very, very violently ill. Okay. And again, there's no toilets in the house to have the comfort of either. Good thing you got a maid. Yeah. Well, you know, vomiting or pooping your brains out you gotta go outside we got mrs o'sullivan we don't even go outside <laughs> no actually they used pals so yeah either way what the fuck? yeah 1892 turn of the century and you're fucking no water do they even have they electricity have, have, uh no they didn't even have gas hooked up to the house to for gas lights not even i mean i know they're not in boston but they're on the east coast it's you know it's Kind of groundwork for everything. Should be industrialized by now. And the man's rich. I don't know what to tell you. So, nobody's feeling good. Andrew's killed her birds. This tension in the family has built. And in addition to all this, on August 3rd, Lizzie attempts to purchase persic acid hydrogen cyanide at the local drugstore. And the only reason why they wouldn't give it to her is because she didn't have a prescription. When she's later asked, why did you want this poison, basically? She's like, oh, I wanted to clean a silkskin cap that I have. But, I mean, it's just really profound that the family got sick prior, and then she tries to buy some poison, basically, that would do the job for the family. Also, on August 3rd, they have a guest visitor come and stay in the home. The guest is actually their mother's brother, John Morris. John Morris, who has business dealings with Andrew, has come to visit to discuss some of the businesses. Lizzie takes off and goes visits with a friend, which we'll discuss a little bit later. But it's August 4th that things go. Th- th- things just go. It goes. Okay. Now, I do want to point out in 1892, Lizzie's 32 years old and Emma is 41. And there's there's a reason why we're going to mention this later. Okay, so they're still living with Pops and Mrs. Bolden. Borden. At this late in their life. Correct. Which I think is very telling in oh. the future. In the future? Well, when we, in our future discussion, you'll see why I think it's very telling. Okay, but they don't have any education. I'm actually not aware of what kind of education they received, but I mean, they obviously know how to read and write, which is of great value. 
So she's not a child asking for poison. Right. She's no. an adult. She's a grown woman. In fact, she's past her prime at this point in time. Her sister is 41 years old. I mean, the woman's considered an old maid. They already have a maid. <laughs> August 4th, the day the shit goes wrong. She tries buying poison. Doesn't work. After being ill with bad mutton, after living home with Daddy and Mrs. Borden for the last 30-something years. 31 years. It's a Thursday. At 7 in the morning, Andrew, John, and Abby have breakfast together. Again, the girls don't eat with the, the parents. They're at the kids' table still. Yeah. At 8.45, John leaves. He says he's going to go visit a sick family member on the other side of town. At 9.15, Andrew heads off to handle some business affairs, even though he's actually officially retired, basically leaving Lizzie, Abby, and Maggie alone in the home. Emma, the sister, is actually visiting a friend who's a seamstress for a few days in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. It's about 15 miles away. She just wanted to use her toilet. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Know what a telephone is, yeah. Yeah. Call some homies. Dial two to get me, bro. Anyway, <laughs> I think at that time they were doing the ringing. I, and they had yeah, the operator so? connect. Yeah. 92? 1892? Yeah. Maybe. Anyways, at 9.30, Abby heads upstairs to clean the guest's room, which John is sleeping in. Remember I said John was visiting to talk some business with Andrew. And she orders Bridget to wash the windows, both inside and outside the house. So Bridget goes, does that. Abby heads upstairs, and about 10.40, Andrew comes home. And curious enough, all three locks in the front door are locked, which is not a normal thing for the house. Bridget, the maid, is actually struggling to unlock all three to let him in, and Lizzie is reportedly upstairs laughing at Bridget because Bridget is having these problems. Once she gets the door unlocked, Andrew goes into the sitting room. He goes into the sitting room, and Lizzie comes down. He asks Lizzie, hey, where is Abby? And Lizzie will later testify that she tells her dad that Abby had received a note from a sick friend requesting that Abby go to see her. Also, Lizzie will later tell the police that she helped her dad settle down on the couch by removing his shoes so that he can take his nap. Now, about 10.55, Bridget goes to retire to her room to take a nap. Again, she's not feeling well because of the mutton situation. She goes to the back of the house because the back of the house is the only staircase that goes all the way up directly to her room. Okay, there's two sets of staircases in this house. But the servant's staircase is in the back. She goes to lay down, and her, her room is actually located on the fourth floor. So the very top of the house. And at about 11.15, Lizzie, who claims that she was just outside in the barn looking for some weights for a fishing trip, claims to hear a strange, like, heavy fall sound. And that's what catches her attention and draws her back into the house. But the fall sound is, like, from the house. So, I mean, that's a bit questionable because if you look at the property you can see that the house and the barn are obviously separated and you're inside one building i'm not sure you can hear what's going on in the other building 
not something that normally happens. Either way, she claims to investigate the source of the noise, and that's when she discovers her father's dead. And she can see that he had been repeatedly struck with a rather sharp instrument in his head. And it's at that point in time, she realizes he's probably dead. Andrew had been struck 11 times with this said sharp instrument. Now, immediately Lizzie reportedly screams for Maggie. Somebody's killed my, Maggie, Maggie, someone's killed my dad. And has Maggie come all the way down, and she basically tells Maggie, you need to go get a doctor. And there's actually a doctor who lived across the street from them. And she goes across the street, because, I mean, she sees that Andrew's dead. She goes across the street to get the doctor. The doctor's not in. She comes back, and she's like, you need to go find a doctor. You need to go find a doctor. So Lizzie claims to hear the thud of something falling, even though she stays outside in the barn. She was outside in the barn, yeah. But she claims to hear kathump. Kathump, yeah. Something, something awry in the house. Arose such a clatter, yeah. Yeah, arose such a clatter, yeah. So she goes in, homeboys fucking poked to death. Hacked to death. To the, to the brain. Correct. To, through the brain. Through the brain. Okay. She gasps and screams for help. She gasps and screams, screams for Bridget, Maggie, the maid. Maid. Well, no, she says her name. Maid. <laughs> Clean this up. Anywho, as. His brains are on the cuttings. As Bridget is looking for the doctor, she's running around trying to garnish help. She comes across another neighbor by the name of Adeline Churchill. The two ladies run into the house, and at this point in time, Lizzie goes, you guys need to go find Abby. I mean... The mom. The mom. Well, the stepmom. Yes. Okay. Okay. So the two women use the front staircase as a means to go to, to the second floor. Right. And as they're ascending the staircase, they see her feet poking out behind the bed of the guest room, the room that John was in the night before. Okay. Okay. And so they rush over to see her, and that's when they find her lying on her stomach with her arms kind of like folded neatly, like her hands are pressing against her chest. Like you're laid to rest? Um, Correct, but on your stomach. Okay. And it looks as though... Her brain has been hacked in, hacked in. And there's not a whole lot of space. She's between the bed and the dresser, uh, again, on the other side of the bed. So they only just see her feet sticking out. Obviously, they look at her, like I said, her brain's been hacked in. And it's later discovered that Abby herself had been struck at least 18 times. So someone ravaged her in, in the head. With, like, just just a savage beating, basically. Savage. So, bitches, wicked west of the east up there. All they see is the feet. Yeah. So, they see the feet, find the body, bashing with the face. Right. Uh, 18 times. 18 times. Someone's mad. A little angry. Angry Right. So, they go find the doctor, or... Well, they finally find Dr. Bowden, the same doctor that Lizzie tried to get Bridget to find, finally arrives, and he examines the body. Dead. Correct. And he actually determines that it's Abby that was killed first by at least an hour prior 
to Andrew being killed. So let's talk about the manner in which the bodies were found. Neither one of them were found to be in like a defensive position, which suggests that there was no struggle. They, whoever did it, surprised they didn't see it coming, basically. And, you know, just to me, it's very interesting. Now, Andrew is laying on his back with his arms resting, although he's sleeping, okay? Right. And curious enough, you can see in the picture of his death, just above his head on the couch is his wool jacket. And it's August. And while Andrew liked to carry the jacket around him, it does actually strike me a little odd that he would use the wool jacket to rest his head on in August when it's hot and wool just perpetuates that heat. Now, other than that, the other thing that's very curious is, is that you can see this in the picture. His shoes are still on. Now to Abby. She claimed she took the shoes off for, for his nap time. Correct. Okay. Now, Abby, like I said, is found between the dresser and the bed. And her head is like towards the wall. And her arms are n- very neatly tucked under her. Oh, you know, it, it, and it's, to me, very curious. Because if someone strikes you from even the back, which is not what forensics later says. Forensics testing later shows that she was facing her attacker when she was attacked. You don't fall and neatly tuck your arms underneath your body. Right, so impose the body. I believe that's exactly what happened. And I suspect, if I was a betting girl, I'm not a forensic person, that... But you are a betting girl. I am a betting girl. That somebody hid or maybe kind of tucked her feet up so no one could see her until it was time to find Abby. You understand? Right. To be like, oh... Where's Abby? Dead. Oh, (laughs) right. So, again, upon the doctor's investigation, he also notices that Abby... Dead mama. ...has bruises on her face, Mm -hmm. which indicates that she was alive. She was still alive despite the hacking she received when she fell and hit the ground, okay? But, I mean, it's entirely possible one or two hacks took her down, and, you know, she fell, she hit... The floor bruised her face, and the hacking continued. I mean, 18 hacks, that's a significant amount of hatred there. You gotta make sure she's dead, bro. Right. But again, she just looks, it doesn't look authentic, basically, is my point, the way her body's positioned. Now, obviously, the police are called, they begin their investigation, and as part of the investigation, they search the house, and they also, of course, begin to interview the people inside the home, which are Lizzie and Maggie Bridget, Bridget Maggie. Now, in the course of their research, they do find a broken hatchet in the basement. And the issue with the broken hatchet is that it's broken. You can't be killing people, hacking their faces in, if your handle is broken. Yeah, you would need an incredible amount of force to, to handle that. To right. break skull. Okay. And there is also no blood And there's no indication that it had just been recently cleaned, like water residue or wet. And they also find, in fact, that's this is the thing about their research. There's so many conflicting reports about how many axes and how many hatchets they found. But the most predominant is this broken one because it's still held. In fact, it's held at the Fall River Museum as part of the whole 
the Lizzie Borden collection. But they do find an axe in the barn. And again, there's nothing on the axe. There's nothing to indicate that it was used. There's nothing. All right. Well, you, so, okay. So, there's <laughs> so eight, all these strikes in the head, and there's no blood splatters. Well, that's just it. I, the unfortunate part is, is, you know, back in 19. Or, 18. Thank you. 1892. This forensics is not even a thing. Bro, I've seen Briscoe County Jr. Okay, bro busted out fingerprints on a fucking candle lit, uh, what are those fucking things called? Photo projector. Uh-huh. Okay. I seen it. Okay. Well, either way, this isn't the Wild West. And it might as well will be, fuck. Forensics is not a, a thing. It's just not. They don't right. even have, I don't believe they even have fingerprints at this point in time. Gone. Right, they probably don't believe in it yet. So, blood splatter, which would have been helpful to to forensics now to kind of show the point of the, the body being struck and how and where it was positioned would be beneficial now. But in addition to this, you're talking black and white pictures. So if there's blood on the furniture or mixed in the carpet, we can't see it. It's no good. Right. So either way, they, they find the ax in the barn but again, just like the broken hatchet, nothing. They got nothing. Now, later, Maggie, Bridget, Bridget Maggie, we'll stick with Bridget from here maid. on. Uh, the maid. will testify at Lizzie's hearing that Lizzie was wearing a blue dress and that the dress was pretty spotless. Now, at some point in time, and I don't know when, the dress actually does get turned over to the police and they do find basically like a drop of blood on the hem of the dress. I don't mean nothing. She Correct. found the bodies. She found the bodies. She found one of them. Yeah, yeah. She sent them to go find Abby. Right. So, right. I mean, at any point, she could have wiped her dress. Anything. Or if she even leaned over to make sure. Let's say she was innocent. She leaned over, kind of like, is this real? And her the hem of her dress. Yeah, people fucking touch shit all the time. They right. touch dead bodies. You always see stand by me. <laughs> yes. So, the police obviously questioned Lizzie as well. And Lizzie is all over the map. She gives inconsistent answers. She's like, well, I was in the barn looking for the weights. And then she tells them later, well, I was actually looking for some iron to fix her screen door. And then she's like, I heard a strange thump. And then I went to go check it out. And then she later tells him, no, I didn't hear anything. And I just happened to walk into the sitting room and found my dad. Oh, my God. So her stories are consistent. She's telling them different versions of the same event. Right. She doesn't cry. She does not seem upset. In fact, she's just very flat. And the cops are like, this is not normal behavior. And when one of the officers accidentally calls Abby her mother, she's like, she is my stepmom. That's to be very Mrs. clear. Mrs. Borden to you. Borden to you. Yes. So her behavior basically is a huge red flag to the police. Now, while they're trying to figure it all out, while they're trying to you know, do their investigation, Bridget and Lizzie stay in the house. At some point in time, a telegram gets sent to Emma because they don't have a telephone. They can't call her. And as odd as it seems, Emma does not take the first three available trains home. So and remember, she's visiting with her friend in Fairhaven. So she's, you know... There's no Uber. There's no Uber. 
there's a barely even cars at this point in time. Where the hell's Fairhaven at? I think it's like 15 miles from. Oh, I guess it's so, yeah. still in they're Massachusetts. Still, they're still, they're still. So both Abby and Andrew's body gets moved into the dining room, where they get examined. Their stomachs get removed to get tested for poison to see if there were poison in it. But afterwards, that's where they leave the bodies. They basically just cover the bodies up and close the door in the dining room. And Lizzie, Emma, and Bridget are like, we're just going to stay here. Oh, sorry. They left the the bodies at the house. Right. With the the suspects in the house. Right. With the bodies. Right. On the table. Right. They don't have like a, a morgue. That would be my assumption. No. Not at this point in time. So, okay. Well, I don't know if the point of the police were back then. So the three ladies are there and they actually extend and ask that Lizzie's friend, Alice Russell, to come stay with them. Now, remember I had said on August 3rd, Lizzie went to go visit a friend. Well, it's Alice Russell that she had gone to visit the night before. <gasps> So Alice comes, and she stays with the family for a couple of days. And on the Sunday following the murders, she sees Lizzie burning a blue dress in the fire. Right. And she's like, my God, what is she doing? So on top of all of this, on the night of the murders, there's a surviving rumor that Bridget herself was later seen that evening leaving with an unexamined parcel. And, you know, the cops just let her go, let her leave, didn't check anything. And later on, it is speculated that she took the weapon away. Okay. Oh, so you think, so we, we're thinking, we're hearing that the maid helped Lizzie. Well, let's, well, let's talk suspects. Okay. Lizzie. <laughs> First, My final answer. Right. Sorry, what is Lizzie? <laughs> Who is Lizzie? I don't know how this game is played. Well, first is the theory of this random angry business person who had dealings with Andrew Borden. Now, he was a rich man. You don't become rich by making friends everywhere. You cheat people, you rob people, you're a penny pincher. How dare you? I so- watched a wonderful life. <laughs> you remember what he you remember what Clarence told him? No, no every mm. No man is poor unless he has friends. Did you watch Wonderful Life? You know what I'm trying to say, though? Yes. What is it, then? A man can never be poor because he has friends. I don't remember. Oh, man. Okay, well, you keep going. I'm listening. I swear. I'm here. Your listeners are listening, too, hopefully. Hope we didn't lose you. Not after this mess. All right. Stay with me. Don't give up. So, like I said before, she visited Alice Russell, and during this visit, Lizzie, like... You know, explains to her she's worried that something bad is about to happen. She's worried that something bad is about to happen to her dad because of all of his wrongdoings and cheating of people during their business deals. Now, Lizzie would later testify that an angry man came to the house that very morning, August 4th, and Andrew sent him away. And the problem, of course, is, is the only person that mentions this person is Lizzie. So Lizzie goes to her friends, tries to set this tone. Lizzie claims that this angry man came to the house the next day. But the problem with this theory, and there's a few problems actually, is, again, there's at least an hour lapse between the two killings. I don't know about a murderer who stays lying in wait to kill two people 
to hack them with a maid and the daughter running around the house. Plus, in addition to that, there's no sign of forced entry and absolutely nothing is missing from the house. So it's not even some rando burglar who's like, I'm going to just wield this hatchet to these two people who have power of the, over the finances of the house. Okay. And that brings me to the other point about the, this theory being ridiculous. Even if it was an angry man of, who was pissed off at Andrew, why do you kill his wife? There's no sense into that. Sure there is. No. You don't kill his wife and then kill him. You just kill him. Fucking, who knows? In the 1800s, fucking people do weird shit, bro. Well, I'm not buying it. All right. Okay. I didn't know you were selling it. <laughs> <laughs> so this leaves Bridget. Let's talk Bridget. Um, Maggie. The maid. The maid. Now, again... There's nothing that ties her to the house, to the murders. You know, she goes outside. She's not feeling well. She's not feeling well to the point where she's taking, a, trying to take a nap in the middle of the day because of the mutton, the bad mutton. So there's a lot of thought that, you know, she didn't have the strength to strike someone 18 times in the skull. Well, we don't know what kind of, we, can, we don't know what it was. We don't know how, how, how the, the penetration holes were. Right, I mean, it's pretty. I mean, I'm assuming it's it's a it's a blood it's, splatter. It's uh, one of those fucking fire pokers. So I'm assuming it is. So it's not really heavy. It's a hatchet. It, so it is a hatchet. They believe it's a hatchet. They believe it's a hatchet. Yes, or an axe of some sort. No fire poker. Okay. Okay. So I mean, hatchets aren't very big. It's true, but if you're hitting someone's skull, you gotta have the strength. So. So you still think Lizzie did it at this point? <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> so you think, oh, I mean. Ba- my point is, is that there's no actual tangible evidence to suggest Bridget had been the killer. Okay? Now let's talk about John Morris. The brother. The brother-in-law. Now he actually has a bona fide motive to kill both Abby and Andrew. He actually shared a livestock business with Andrew that was failing. That was part of the reason why he was there. Again, memory said he came to discuss business matters. And when he comes to visit, he doesn't normally sleep in the guest bedroom. He normally sleeps in a different room. So it was a little odd that he's actually sleeping in the guest room, the very room that Abby gets killed in. Okay? So he doesn't sleep in the room, but the one night he does, Abby's found dead. In the room. Right. Now... Like I said, he goes to go. He goes off to go see a sick friend. Well, <laughs> interestingly enough, he claims to be visiting the sick friend with the doctor, who eventually shows up and is examining the the bodies. At the same time, he claims to be visiting the friend. Got him. So you have a situation where the doctor supposedly teleports two spots at the same time. Okay, and it would be to his benefit again. Like I said. If Abby dies, because she would have inherited everything as the wife if it was just Andrew. Okay? Okay. So they're both dead, out of the question. Right. Now, we we can automatically rule out Emma, because, again, she's with her friend, who is actually a seamstress, and she's actually getting measured to get a couple of dresses made. So she's not even in the town. Or so we thought. Correct. So, 
This all brings us to Lizzie. Let's talk about the whole idea of looking for weights for a fishing trip. This is a Victorian girl. You said she was sociable, though. She, yes, it was but a fishing who goes derby. on a fish? No, I don't think so. They have fishing derbies. There's not, from what I have read, there's nothing to confirm that there was a fishing derby or a fishing trip, even remotely in her near future, okay? And then there's the story of, well, I heard a strange thump while I was in the barn that happened in the house. No, sister. No. She got good hearing. No. Oh. You hear shit all the time in your house. Yeah. Well, it's the ghost or the guy living in my attic that I'm certain is there. <laughs> He's running out of fucking cotton to eat up there. So in addition to that, again, she testifies that she told her father that Abby had left the house. Right? Right. Abby's gone. Right. But they never find the note that she claims was received. What note? The note that sent Abby away from the sick friend. Oh. Okay. So here again, Lizzie's the only one that sees the angry man. Lizzie's the only one that receives the note that gives to Abby that sends Abby supposedly away. Right. Okay. And again, Lizzie testifies that, hey, I helped my dad untie his shoes to help him take a little nap. Well, we have proof that that didn't happen. Well, fuck, maybe he got caught and put his boots back on. I doubt that. And he In had, August? And he, it fucking happens. No. You telling me the East Coast don't get chilly sometimes? That's a, that's a nyet nyet. Do the Orcanian style? No. Nyet. Yeah. So, a lot of the things that she says, A, does not make sense. B, there is no validation. And C, she's the only one saying, this is what happened. She doesn't have any valid proof well, she can't keep quiet either. And then there's her behavior, okay? She, you find your dad dead, and she goes and runs and screams for the maid? Well, you don't call for you don't call for Abby? You don't call for anybody? Well, that's because you don't call for a dead person. Okay. But, I mean, if you need help, I mean, you just think of the first person you think of. She doesn't like Mrs. Borden. Yeah, but if your dad's face hacked in, that's a different... Reaction. And then she's already in the house. Who? At Lizzie's. Right. When Bridget and Mrs. Churchill comes in and she orders them to go find Abby. So, again, her story is inconsistent. Is Abby in the house or is she not in the house? You don't call for a dead person because you know they're already dead. Well, she could have been calling. Well, she probably didn't want to leave the body. But... I, I would just, not want to I'm be playing devil advocate here. If I find you dead, right. I'm going outside and having my motherfucking meltdown out there and let the neighbors call the cops, okay? But I'm not going to hang around. Different people react differently. And I'm not going to direct people to find other bodies. Yeah. No. She did it. She took charge of the situation to get things done. Incorrect. Go find the doctor. She came back with some random bitch. All right, go find Abby, then I'll fucking do something else. <laughs> Good job for Lizzie. Lizzie took charge of the took charge of the situation. No, and that's true leadership. Lizzie right there. had her story. Well, I think she originally had her story straight, and then she got confused. She she forgot. She forgot her story. She all got right. Macbethed out. Yeah, exactly. So on August 9th, the inquest begins because the murder of these people have to be investigated, and it comes to no surprise to Lizzie when she gets named as basically their number one suspect. And it's actually the mayor that tells Lizzie, you're the prime suspect. The mayor. The mayor. Looks the mayor. Exactly. 
Why? Yeah, but because they have money. Anyways, when he comes and makes this announcement, she's like, okay, I'm ready to go. And she, like, you know, dramatically puts her arms up, like, you can arrest me now. Uh-huh. She doesn't get arrested. All oh. right. Now, two days pass, and on August 11th, they host, <laughs> basically, the parents' funeral. And it is literally described as a two-minute gravesite ceremony, and they're out. Cool. So I just. What I do you want? That. What do you want? You want a fucking. You want us some bagpipes or some shit? Well, you would think on some level. I, I, I think she hates her parents. I and I think that played into why why they were killed. But I think again, allegedly killed. <laughs> they were hacked to death. There's no allegedness <laughs> to that. Maybe they did it themselves. Fuck it. Do anything with that. No. She was, she, they were bleeding out from the brain, and all they could do was put their, sh- their boots back on. Right. Anyways, it is also after the funeral on August 11th that Lizzie gets officially arrested. She's arrested by Officer Marshall Hilliard, and she gets taken to the Taunton Jail, where she remains there for the next nine months until June of 1893. Now, during this time, there's a grand jury that's held in November. And on December 1st, Lizzie's old friend Alice pops up and she shares what she saw about Lizzie burning the blue dress on that Sunday following the murders. And based on this information, the grand jury indicts Lizzie on December 2nd and it goes to trial. That's bullshit. They have a witness saying... Burning a dress. Burning evidence. Allegedly. Well, that's... They shouldn't have left the evidence in the house then. Correct. They had to have... Lizzie, let them search. But that doesn't mean Lizzie... Maybe Lizzie didn't want the dress anymore. There's blood on it. Okay, we're going to get to that. Okay. Now, of course, this takes some time. The attorney general and the district attorney for Fall River doesn't really want to do this, but they have to. It's a crime. It has to be addressed. But they're like, it's a woman. She's got money. She's white. We just don't want to do this. But there's a crime. We have to. We do have to exercise our duty. Oh, we got to do our job. Fuck. Yes. Shit. Sounds like a CEO. (laughs) (laughs) So the attorney general actually bows out in the case in April. He's like, I'm sick. My doctor says no. I I got a doctor's note. And he chooses the district attorney from Bristol County. You say Bristol County? Yeah, Bristol. Oh. Bristol County. That sounds fun. By the name of Hosey Knowlton. Now, this courtroom, this trial, is your basic O.J. Simpson scenario. It's got all the dramatics. If the dress won't burn, you (laughs) can't get turned. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) The court... Hearing begins on June 5th, and and Lizzie appears in court in a tightly corseted dress, and in one hand she's got a fan because it's all you know it's still June, it's summer again, and in the other she's clutching flowers, you know, like yeah, a, like it's a, just some black and a little veil in front. <laughs> well, no, she's wearing a hat, but she's got these flowers. And she's fanning herself, and right. she's trying to give the impression of being this dainty. And I mean, I don't even know who, how she even got the flowers, because you're not really supposed to hand anything to prisoners. Uh, it's 1893. They can get what they want. Uh, anyways, 
And at one point in time, when Knowlton brings in the skulls of Abby and Andrew as evidence, Lizzie does this dramatic feint to which she basically just like falls out of her chair and faints onto the floor and everyone gasps. <sighs> the gasp. Right. And and this, like I said, is the O.J. Simpson trial because people are literally lined up to try and get a seat in the courthouse. How do they care? Because this is sensation. They don't have TV. They don't have television. They don't have Google. Well, fucking make it. Well, they... <laughs> <laughs> it comes later. How much later? <laughs> <laughs> you were there. Anyhow, yeah, I was born before Google. Side note. And bear in mind the other thing, too, okay? They recently had a axe murder case very similar to Lizzie Borden's play out just before her trial began. And I, and I didn't mention this sooner, but her trial has actually moved from Fall Rivers to New Bedford because for the obvious reason. Bedford Falls? Not Bedford Falls. Bedford Falls? <laughs> <laughs> Easy George there. Bailey. <laughs> Easy there, George. Okay. So, Knowlton actually doesn't believe he's going to get a conviction. Right. But he does believe she's guilty. All right. Okay. What he's actually hoping for, basically, is to get a hung jury. Because you get a hung jury, it's like the trial didn't happen. It doesn't count against her. Because if she gets acquitted, you don't get a second trial. It's called Double Jeopardy. Can't be tried for the same crime twice. Correct. Well, did they have Double Jeopardy at this point? No. I mean, it, he no, yes, they did. You can't be, it's, a, it's the law then. He knows you can't be tried twice. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know how I passed my constitution test, so I don't know. Okay. Okay, either way, Double Jeopardy, right. Can't I, be tried for the same crime twice, just for you all know. Right. Right. And, I mean, he even, he, he knows this. He knows he's not going to get a conviction. He's just hoping for a hung jury. And he even gives like this prolonged five hour passionate closing argument speech. Five, five fucking hours. Five hours. But the bottom line is they don't have a weapon. They don't have evidence that physically link her to the actual crimes. Right. They don't have anything. Right. No matter how butchered her story can be. They have I mean, Alice just... saying she burnt a dress. Okay. That doesn't discredit her. Cool. That's her property. Well, that's the other thing that kind of happens, too, during this court hearing. The judge rules or throws out all of the testimony they ascertain in the inquest that they conduct with her. So that includes the blue shirt burning? No, not yet. Okay. But it includes, again, when they asked her a bunch of questions and she didn't have her attorney present during the inquest portion. <sighs> Because she didn't have... Who's in charge of this? Exactly. There are so many steps these fuckers fucked up. You know, I I hate to say it, but our podcast really leads to the bashing of the old-time police. I don't think it was alive from back then, so it's okay now. But if you're offended, I your great-grandpa fucked up a lot. <laughs> Fuck, man. But, I mean, they weren't the only ones. They should have told her to have. Andrew don't know shit. I barely know my constitutional rights. Okay, well. I know I have to have an attorney, and anything I say can be used against me in a court of law, you know all that bullshit, whatever. Cool, yeah. But you know, some I can I can guarantee you, most people don't know their Miranda rights, their Miranda rights, any of their rights for the most part. Okay, well, 
Right. So either way, right. So she it, it all gets tossed out. Tossed because there was no attorney present, and that cannot be used against her because she didn't have legal representation. Right. She, she was not offered legal representation. In addition to that, it also gets mentioned that Lizzie was on morphine at the time that she was giving all these interviews. Morphine. Right. Because morphine was handed out like candy right. by doctors back then. Well, but you get morphine, you can't get poison. Right. Got a rat problem, morphine in it. Right. <laughs> okay. And in regards to the dress that we just mentioned, Emma, her sister, testifies that she told Lizzie to burn the dress because it had paint on it and that the dress was basically ruined. Why lie? Why lie about that? Why did you just say there's blood on it? Be- you could admit there's blood on it. Oh, because that would be like she touched she if she was part of she said I moved the body and I got blood on it I don't want it anymore and I can't sell it and I'm not gonna throw it away someone else can grab it she didn't testify that she moved the body I'm just saying the point the point I'm making is all she had to do is say I touched the body why because no that I was, that dress actually got handed over to the police. Right, and the first time though, just saying. No, this is a different dress. This is a second blue dress. Yes, this is a different dress altogether. So what's the second dress got to do with anything? <laughs> Are you not following? I am fucking following. They said the first blue dress that had a blood stain on it, right? Was given to the police. Right. The second dress was burnt by her on Sunday, the following uh, Sunday of the murders. So the alleged. So the, the dress that they thought they had was the dress she wore to kill, but or the other one she had hidden. I think the dress that they handed over was a dress that was fake. It was a decoy dress. Correct. All right. The trial goes on for about three weeks, and the jury it comes to a close on June 30th, and the jury goes to deliberate, and they deliberate for basically an hour. And it is said that they kind of voted, they got their vote, and then they basically waited the hour out to make it look like they deliberated or something. In an hour's time, they come back, and she's found not guilty. It's over. Nice. So, she's nice free. Nice case. She's free. Now, prior to this, Emma... Started living La Vida Loca life. They buy a very nice house With in a section called The Hill. Nice. Okay. The Hill being a prosperous neighborhood that they could indulge in. They have a house full of servants. They have maids, chambermaids, all the other maids. The luxurious life cooks. they were supposed to have. That they didn't exactly. Have. Okay. And they even buy a car when they get a chauffeur. So they're living La Vida Loca, literally. Right. They So daddy's money is now all theirs. Correct. And not the brother-in-law's. Correct. Which is very important to part of the reason why I think Lizzie was the murderer. Oh, yeah. she's good. She's been deprived of her life for the last 31 years. No. I'm talking about the way that Abby and Andrew died. Abby had to die first. Abby had to be murdered first because of the way money goes. If Andrew had died, all of his money would have gone to Abby and the girls would have gotten shit. Right. But if Abby dies first, Andrew's money stays with Andrew. 
And then when Andrew dies, Andrew's money goes to Andrew's family, which are his two daughters. Well, if you die both the same day, it doesn't matter. It does matter depending on the order of the deaths. Doesn't matter how. Oh, so okay. So you're saying so if the husband died first, the money would then so the the, the lawyers or paper pencil pushers would all fucking put it together. But okay, so due to the fact that he died, his stuff actually goes to the benefit of her, but because she, she died after his death, because the it's like a river, so. His death opens the river and goes down to her. To Abby. To Abby, and then to whoever Abby has her benefiters as. Her family. Her family would yes. get it because that's the way the river would flow. Correct. But since they did it the other way, well, they, see, that's the thing, too. So I, maybe, so. Yes, absolutely. Do you think they both did it? I. You think, think all three of them did it? I think all three of them did it. I oh, Let me take that back. I think Emma was in on it. I think Bridget helped, but I think Lizzie did it. So you think okay? So you think Lizzie and the maid worked together to kill both people in the house. I think Lizzie hacked him up. I think Bridget helped clean up Lizzie because they had all the time in the morning. Right, no one's there to check on him. Nobody cares about these people. Correct. He has it's no just friends. These two women, and she's dying of fucking bad mutton. Right. Right. So, Do you want to keep living like this, Maggie? You want out, Maggie? You better help me, Maggie. Right, but Emma, so then Emma probably is like, you know, she doesn't really help, but so she probably didn't know about, she probably did know about it, but she didn't probably didn't want to do anything with it. It's entirely possible. She was aware, She and she hid the dress for, I mean, she's, she, well, was, I would she say, knew I about would, the dress. I would say it's Emma's friend that sees the burn dress, or that's Lizzie's friend. It's Lizzie's friend. Okay, so Lizzie's friend is a bitch. Right. Not a ride of that girl. No. Yeah. So, so here's so here's so here's so uh, right. So this is this was this was the plan would work. Lizzie and the maid. So sorry, Emma leaves to go see her seamstress friend. Right. They show face to, for fucking wherever they're at, fifteen miles away. Right. And then you know it's not it's not hard, not easy to get there. Right. So I mean, now this is now this is just a this is just a fucking. Scenario. So then they do their fucking thing. Uh, Emma and the friend come back and they take the evidence, the hatchet, alleged hatchet, and they go back to wherever the fuck they came from. <sighs> and they forget the dress on accident. Okay. So they you know, the, here's all the evidence. So maybe there was like multiple hatchets. You know, right. maybe there's more than one. Maybe the one did break. Because, you know, this shit's probably raggedy and old. Nothing thing's new. So, all, all the cloths, everything that was used to clean, they take that shit and they dump it fucking 15 miles away. And nobody would know. And that's actually uh, a thought. But playing off of that, I really think the first time that Bridget went out, she went to go hide the hatchet. And she's panicking. She's worried. She's got the murder weapon. Right. She's got the shitty job of trying to hide this shit. Lizzie's getting undressed from the murder clothes. And it just happened that uh, Maggie, Bridget, comes across a neighbor who sees her, like, panicking because they're enacting the plan. It's happened. The murders have happened. And whether or not you've discussed it a million times, when you see the actual and you're carrying the actual murder weapon, out of the house, 
I mean, you're not going to look your best, your finest. Well, yeah, she's probably stressing. And so I think the neighbor going, oh, my God, Bridget, are you okay? What's wrong? Let me help you. Going back to the house was not part of the plan. And that's why at that point in time, Lizzie says, you guys go need to go find Abby. And so I, I think. Well, that's what I said. Lizzie was thinking on her feet. And then she says, this is the perfect time to have a witness here other than us to prove that we found the body this way together. Correct. And, and here's kind of where I, I think this is, there's some validation to this, okay? That at least Bridget was in on it. Like I said before. Emma is spending the money. They buy this beautiful house. They call... Right, they're fucking living luxuries lives. Right. Right. Maplecroft. They call the house Maplecroft. And they're having parties, sorties. They're doing... Even though, to some degree, Lizzie was ostracized, yes. But she hires an attorney for her sister. Her sister gets off scot-free. But Bridget herself goes back to Ireland. And she buys a farm. You saved enough money to buy... Property in Ireland? Fuck yeah, three years of fucking sucking dick and cleaning so. walls. Fuck yeah. No. <laughs> no. I think she gave her a significant amount of money for her part in it. That's why she went back to Ireland as far away as possible, and she was able to buy property. Right, so she got money and then some. Correct. And bon voyage, right. have a good life. And, well, and speaking of the good life, you know, Lizzie goes on to enjoy traveling through Boston, New York, Washington, D.C. She, in, in New York, she falls in love with the theater. She, there's, a, there's a theory that she even starts a romantic relationship with an actress by the name of Nance. She's gay? There's a theory, yes. Oh, maybe the maid and her were in love. That's another theory Ooh, that they, was prevalent. They couldn't do it anymore. That their, their love was found out. But... Here's what I think fed into not only the motive for for the money, but there is a prevalent scary theory that Andrew Borden was molesting both of the sisters. And that's part of the reason why they were home at the age of 32 of and 41. Because their father already fucked them up. You know, basically soiled them. Okay? And that would explain why there's so much anger. I mean, to hack someone in the head ten times shows that your anger. But I mean, who knows what Abby knew? You understand? Did she know that her husband was molesting the children and did nothing about it? Fuck yeah, she did. I, I mean, there is actually, and I did look at the floor plan. There is actually a connecting door between Andrew's room, whom he shared with his wife, and Lizzie's room. There's actually no real halls in the house on the second floor. It's kind of weird. You actually have to go through Lizzie's room to go to Emma's room. So there is a very, very deep, entrenched train of thought, thread of thought, that Andrew Borden had been molesting them. And so when, you know, he started giving away the property to Abby, his family. Right, he's probably, you know, saying, you know, let me touch your fucking... Mm -hmm. And let me fucking, you know, do what I want. And then, you know, when I die, you get everything you've ever wanted. And that's entirely possible. But you have to stay here with me. That's probably what the, they probably, that's probably what was fucking brainwashed on them for so long. And then something just fucking snapped between them. And they said, fuck that. I, You're I, done. I think, you know, 
the tremendous amount of disrespect that Andrew kind of showed them. She he, when he killed her pigeons, she was kind of he's done. fucking psycho. Right. All right. This so, psycho house. So what this podcast should be called <laughs> the Borden Psycho House. It's something. Something's not right here in the Borden household. Okay. Now, Emma and Lizzie actually never marry. Because they're gay. Well. Allegedly. I, either way. Right. But something happens in 1905 when Emma and Lizzie have this major fallout, and Emma picks up her belongings, and she moves out, moving to New Market, New Hampshire, and the two sisters never speak again. So, to me, it's either one or two things. Lizzie came clean, or maybe Lizzie was like, I really am a lesbian, Nance is my girl, and Emma just could not handle that. I mean, maybe it's just a murder series. Maybe it's just a murder thing. It's like, maybe there was just resentment that, you know, I did all the hard work, and now you're fucking living life just like me. Why do you get to do that? Money, I mean, money drives people apart and shit, so. It does. It really does. So, I mean. No matter how close you are. Yeah. All right, so. So, wait, did they never get caught? No. It's over. It's over. That's the one trial. I mean, you can't be tried for it again unless the, unless new evidence really. I mean, even then, like, it has to be, like. Profound. You it has to the be. DNA on them. Everybody. Right. You need the CCTV cameras to show you fucking, hey, that's Lizzie fucking bashing her face in. Correct. Right. Okay. So nobody ever gets tried for this. Lizzie goes scot-free, and she remains living at a Maplecroft until June 1st, 1927, when she dies. So she's like, you said what, what was year? 1927. 27, so that's like 30 years after. She's already 31, so she's about 60, 60-something. Yeah. Okay. And she dies of pneumonia. Damn, pneumonia? Damn, Bernie Mac style. That's shitty. So, I mean, they just get away with this guy free. And, and so, I mean, it's probably harder to find the other two because Lizzie was the one that stayed put and everyone else kind of went on their own ways. Right. So. But, so, Lizzie dies, like I said, on June 1st. Right. Pneumonia. Pneumonia. Right. And Emma dies nine days later. Damn. Same year. Fake the deaths. <laughs> and both girls actually get interred next to their father. Fuck, that's fucked up. Yeah. That's gross. Oh. That's that's their last punishment. Well, say their punishment. It's, it's yeah, hard. Yeah, they're back with them. You don't want to stand up for them. It's like the Emma Louise kind of thing. You know, you don't. They're not the good guys, but not like the bad guys. I don't know. I, that's the problem. There's not a whole lot of truth to this. There's not a lot of founded truths. Okay. Well, a lot of it too, especially back then. I mean, I I don't want to say Boston. There was a lot of underlying of don't ask, don't tell kind of things happening. Well, child molestation was not something that was spoken of, ever. I mean, that was not even... Right, you don't fucking say, hey, Greg, you're fucking at the barbecue, the revolutionary barbecue fucking... (laughs) The tea party. Yeah. (laughs) My daddy touched me last night. Yeah, fuck, I mean, it's not a fucking thing, but... It's not. It was a sickness, too, back then. And unfortunately, it's still kind of not a thing now. I mean... I mean, yeah, I mean, there's... There's organizations. It's a taboo. It's a major taboo. Um, it's, it's because it's wrong. <laughs> so that's it. That's our story. That's the Lizzie Borden horror house story. Oh, okay. Fuck. All right. What, you don't know about the, uh, the maid? Uh, I do actually know about the maid. Great question. The maid 
after she couldn't really get someone to settle down with her on her farm in Ireland. Because she's gay. She returns to America. To get gay. To Montana. Anaconda, Montana. Anaconda, Montana? Yes. It's a real place. All right. And interestingly enough. <laughs> Yo, wait, hold on. I'm so- okay, sorry. What did she think? I got a joke. She marries a guy by the name of John. I don't remember what his last name is. She buys a, a little cute little house, and she continues to work as a domestic service person. She works for a gentleman by the name of George Winston, who was a predominant member, supposedly a predominant member in Anaconda, Montana. And if you go to George and Allison Winston's house, supposedly, okay. I couldn't find visual Evidence. confirmation. Right, 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 right. There's a plaque on Alice and George's house dating to the fact that Bridget Sullivan, the same Bridget Sullivan of the Borden murders, worked here, and on her deathbed, she confesses to helping Lizzie out. Nice. But, I again, I tried my best to Google to find this plaque. Right. That says this. Well, it's like, it's like the Walter White plaque in Albuquerque. You can't really Google it. You actually have to go find it. Where do you find it? It's fucking like... You found it, though. Oh, yeah. Okay. It wasn't at the gravestone where they had their fake funeral for or whatever. Right. It's like on a it's like on a fucking little backwood shopping center. It's it's kind of a disgrace to what they did with that plaque. Right. They could have put it in a better spot. Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, so that's what this plaque supposedly says. I just I can't verify. Just so. right. Okay. All right. It's Anaconda, Montana, home of Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Jeez. that's it. That's what we got tonight. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, I think you mentioned before there was a, there was a, a rhyme. There is a rhyme. Never heard of it, but right. Right. We, we looked it up. Yeah. So I, okay. I mean, I sorry, I looked it up. Okay. So I don't know. You have you have yours, and then apparently like an ad lib Eminem beatbox <laughs> version. All right. Ready? All right. All right. So Here I'll do the first part with you. After that, you're on your own. Okay. All right. So I got. Okay. Lizzie Borden took, took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, gave her daughter. She gave her father. She gave her father 41. Let's just hope she won't find you or she'll give you 42. Nice. Bam. All right. What a bitch. <laughs> so, uh, guys, we're on Facebook. The panda is going to put us on... What, well, everything, I guess. <laughs> if you're interested, you yeah, can send a request. Yeah, just, just go to Facebook. Just comment on the page. It doesn't really... I mean, if you got time. I mean, I know, I know it's kind of kind of weird. Like, I'm not going to post anything because I'm going to be the first one to do it. <laughs> Actually, no. Other people have posted. Oh, have they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. So, anyway, we'll have to branch out and reach out more, you know. Hopefully, hopefully you know, Vin Diesel or somebody finds it or something and really <laughs> enjoys it. Family. Okay. I mean, we are family doing this. Come on. <laughs> Fast and Furious, I hope you're listening. <laughs> dark Corners are calling to you. Where are you? Her Dark Corners. That's right. So, Anywho, in the meantime, if you have a specific tourist attraction in mind or have another, you know, unsolved murder mystery that you'd like for us to discuss. To solve. We solved like three <laughs> cases right here. Three different <laughs> scenarios. We had lesbians, molestation, and murder in one episode. Drop the mic. <laughs> That's right. 
Either way, you can send us an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. That too. Yeah. Final thoughts, Panda? Uh, I found out the quote I was trying to do about Wonderful Life. All right. So just a tidbit for everybody out there, you know. You've probably seen the movie a hundred times. I know I have. It's one of my faves. Um, it's the you know at the end when Clarence writes in the book when Not he gets book. his wings and shit. The, t- the Mark Twain novel. The Mark Twain, yeah, because he gave up the Mark Tom Twain Tom Sawyer. Book, Tom Sawyer to George because now it's his friend now. Now they're best buds after basically showing with his life how shitty it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in the book it says, "Dear George, remember no man is a failure who has friends." And it says, "Thanks for the wings, love Clarence," but no man <laughs> is a failure who has friends. friends. That's right. All right. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Boom. <laughs>